Do not assume that people know what you're there to do. They have never had this function before, right? So it's up to you as an HR leader to help educate people and provide the business case and the rationale as you move along your pathway of building the department, help people understand why these things are important. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My next guest on this episode is Shannon Johnston, the Vice President of Human Resources for Avid Pharmaceuticals. Shannon isn't just an expert in running an HR department. She even knows how to build one from the ground up. Let's dive right in. Shannon Johnston, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on. I love your energy and the fact that uh, we know a really good person in kind has made me feel all the more confident that we're, there's going to be some good energy going on here today. Yes, me too. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Oh, me too. I really am. So what I like to do uh, to give the audience a better understanding and feeling for kind of who you are as a person, uh, instead of just, you know, this high powered CHRO, I want to let everybody understand kind of, you know, just to get a better sense for who you are. So why don't we, before we get rocking and rolling into the meat of the conversation, tell me something about you that most people probably don't know. Okay. Well, when I turned 30, shortly after I turned 30, I was sick. I became sick with an illness and uh, something called transverse myelitis. And what transverse myelitis means is Basically, it's an inflammation of the lining of your spinal cord. And what that meant for me was that I was briefly paralyzed. And this was something that came out of nowhere. It was literally overnight. Didn't really know what was wrong with me for many days. I had thought previously, well, the doctors can kind of figure anything out. They didn't know what I had either. Uh, it took some time and then ultimately diagnosed me and I had to work my way back to walk again. And this is, I had never been in the hospital in my life, except for being born. So it was a really, obviously a difficult time in my life, but it was something that in retrospect now, almost 20 years later, I am profoundly grateful for having gone through. I think it uh, helped me develop greater empathy and compassion and patience, which I've always worked on uh, in my life. So it, you know, certainly was difficult, but I think it is in the most difficult times that we learn, you know, what we're made of, who we have in our lives that we should be grateful for. And, uh, you know, but I don't think it's something most people know. And it's certainly not something I share when I first meet somebody. 
Um, but it is fed into every aspect of my life in terms of, I think, improving my perspective in a wow. lot of different areas. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, on me, I wasn't expecting that, but if you, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. but if you don't mind, I mean, I, I would love to kind of talk about that a little bit because I think that that's, um, I do know other mm-hmm. people that have had, I don't know other people that have specifically had what you've had, but I do know some people that have dealt with things of that nature and, I'd love to hear how that's, what that has done for you. You know, what did that do? You know, what it do for your career, personal life, things of that nature Mm -hmm. that you have been able to kind of take and, you know, move forward with your life as opposed to kind of have that as a story and hold it back. And like you just said, most people don't even know that. So you're not even, you know, a lot of times people let something, especially something like that define who they are. And Mm -hmm. here you are not even sharing it. So, um, Please share. <laughs> if you don't yeah, mind. I mean, I think, look, anybody who's had any kind of illness, and uh, I think it, it, it just immediately puts your personal life in, in, in perspective, right? It's sort of, you're focusing on what you need to do to get better. You appreciate the health that you had and where you want to get to. So I think it certainly brings a clarity to your life that previously I probably did not have. From a professional standpoint, it was certainly tough. I actually I had just gotten promoted probably two weeks before this happened to manage this corporate training function. And it, it delayed, obviously, a lot of um, things in my career that year. Uh, it was a difficult recovery. So that was a bummer at the time. But I don't really think, in retrospect, it um, had any significant negative impact to my career trajectory. But I think it's, as I said before, it develops an empathy. And I think it also allows you to release some control and understand that we don't always have control over what happens to us in our lives. Um, And really what defines us is how we handle that adversity. There was a quote that someone gave me around that time. It was adversity does not define their character. It reveals it. I believe it was, it was just kind of like, you don't know what you're made of until something like that happens. And again, going back to the people that are in your life that you maybe underestimated before and sort of are there for you in, in that moment. You know, and even things now in my work in HR, we talk about you know, the ADA or, or something that if someone comes to you and has a particular disability or they're dealing with, a, you know, an illness in their lives. It just really helps to have been there in some way to um, offer, you know, um, offer a sort of, con- I would say constructive empathy for them and um, help them and, and, I think I, I wouldn't have the same perspective if that hadn't happened to me. Wow. That, that's a great share. And in terms of quotes, I'm a big quote guy. And mm-hmm. I think it's very apropos. The quote that I'm going to share is apropos. And it's one that I'm sure you've heard, especially in times of what we're going through now. But tough times don't last, but tough people do. So nice I like work. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think, I think the quote was, adversity does not build character, it reveals it. I think that's mm. what it was. Yes, I, I love quotes as well. When it was a tough thing to go through at that age, when sort of where I was in my career, kind of building it, you know, since that's what we're talking about today. But yeah, I don't feel that I uh, allowed it to define me, but it certainly is a part of my story that I'm happy to share. It's not something I'm hiding. It's just something that I think is something that people can learn something and take away something for themselves. So did that, as a result of that, what have you done differently in your life now to kind of, to stay sharp? Uh, both physically and mentally? Well, one thing I 
discovered later in life, which I wish I didn't, is uh, yoga and meditation. I'm really restorative yoga. I mean, I'm not doing any of the yoga that you're sweating and all of that, but it's more of a relaxation kind of situation. And I think for me, it's done two things. Physically, it really helps me and sort of some of my remaining you know, challenges, but also mentally, it opens up such a creative space for me. And I am more on the side of implementation and execution. And so often that creativity gets pushed aside. So in yoga and in meditation, it just gives you that time to really just think through and be quiet and all the things that you're not doing in the regular course of your day. Wow. Do you have any habits, good or bad? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> How long Pandora's is this bad. show? How long is this podcast? <laughs> I know this is going to sound, maybe this is common, but I do make my bed every day. And I am telling you, I think it's such a foundational habit for people to, it centers me. It might sound silly, but it centers me for the day. I like the way I feel after I complete it. And I like coming home to that. I'm the type of person that wants to clean my workspace before I start work. I feel like having an organized space helps me organize my mind. So that is a, a big habit. that, I'm, And I'm trying really hard to instill that on my 14-year-old son. It's a little bit of a challenge, but <laughs> trying to model the right behavior for him because I think it, I do. I think it's like a life lesson and a life skill. It's a lot of value, a lot of value to it. Get them while you can. My wife is still working on me. It's a battle every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I know. It doesn't come naturally to everybody, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, it is. I, they, I think there's some science behind it, actually. And I, I know that there are a lot of coaches that train people to try to do that also. Again, to the, all the points that you just brought out, a matter of just a sense of accomplishment. I mean, it's just it's these mm -hmm. little things, the tidy. Uh, it's great to hear about that you clean your space ahead of time. That's I've heard psychologists talk about you can look at someone's desk and it really tells you what's going on in their mind. Having that clarity going into somebody's car mm -hmm. it really kind of tells you about a lot about them. So I, I think that's really interesting. And again, I really appreciate you sharing. I got one more question before we roll into uh, more of the professional, if you will. Mm -hmm. sure. um, do you have a favorite book or Netflix series that you want to share? I think this series is on Netflix currently, and that is Breaking Bad. I mean, for me, Breaking Bad is no question the best TV series ever made. I think the quality of that series throughout its entire run was unbelievable. I felt like I hated Walter White. I liked Walter White. Like I felt all kinds of ways and all kinds of things about the different characters over the course of the series. And I absolutely love it. I'm actually jealous of people who haven't watched it yet because it's such a great watch. And I'm pretty sure all the seasons are on. Netflix now. So uh, if you haven't watched it, oh my gosh, it's just such a journey. It's such a great show. It's such a great way of describing it too, a journey. And I was one of those late people. I just watched it about a year or two ago and, and I mm -hmm. binged it. I mean, we're talking, I was going till three in the morning some nights. It's horrible. I oh, should yeah. be admitting this where I was even dreaming about it. And uh, yeah, it's terrible. I shouldn't be saying it's live. But, That's how uh, good it is. That's really how good is. it is. <laughs> yeah. So I'll tell you one other thing before we transition. I, I think there's one show that might be able to give it a run for the money and we'll just see how long they're able to go. And That's Ozarks. So if you haven't seen it. Oh, I love Ozarks. I love that yeah. show. Yeah. Yes, you're right. That yeah. has a lot of similar elements too, where you're kind of not sure how you feel about people. They're not, the characters are not linear. They're just, yeah. they're complex. And I agree with you there. Yeah, we'll see how long. I think it's on season three now, but it could be. It could be yeah. a challenger. 
Whew, yeah, again, the, the duration, I think, definitely adds to the high caliber of it. But all right, let's talk more about you from a professional standpoint. If, if you don't mind, share your background. I would love to hear about kind of how you got there. And then I want to kind of mm-hmm. dig into understanding what drew you there, what's helped you to become successful, and then talk about like how you've gone on to build a couple of uh, human resource departments. So I think it really started, I, I really loved psychology. I had to figure out a way to graduate college. I didn't know what I wanted my major to be, and I found psychology, and I, I really enjoyed it. And of course, my parents were like, what are you going to do with that? And I didn't know. But as I went through college, really towards the second half of my time in college, I had a professor who was a school psychologist who got me really interested in that field. I you know, went to conferences with him and other students and ended up actually going to graduate school right after college uh, at my alma mater for that program. And I lasted a semester, and I remember the exact moment when I knew it wasn't for me. I was in a counseling class, and we were role modeling, you know, sort of role modeling. I was playing the therapist, one of my classmates was playing the client, and she was really giving me a hard time and really being a problem. And I just remember thinking, I'm not built for this. I don't think I have the patience for this. And listen, I respect uh, mental health professionals over you know my lifetime. I've used them. Family, friends have used them. And I love how it's coming. It's just being more talked about now. It's coming to the workplace now. But I know my limits. And for me, especially around patients and just kind of having everything be very loose and going on for long periods of time, I knew I needed something with more structure. I knew at that point. So I, I lasted a semester. And at the time, I was temping at a Fortune 100 company, tens of thousands of employees. And I started thinking about HR. I didn't know a lot about it at the time, but I thought, well, that might be a good way to use my psychology degree, make my parents proud about that, and uh, have a little structure in like a corporate setting. And I didn't really think about it at the time, but I really have this tendency to go into businesses, like let's say the Kmart, I would go into the Kmart and think, why are they running it this way? You know, like, why don't they have more signage here? Maybe they could change the aisles or why don't they switch it up so you know what you would go to customer service for? And I didn't really think about it at the time, but it really was like this interest in improving you know, efficiencies and really making the experience better for customers. And so when you relate it back to my interest in HR, I really ultimately think that's where it started. Kind of how can I improve the employee experience, right? How can I make these processes better or eliminate or modify and that kind of thing. So once I had this thought of HR, I posted for a job at this company where I was temping and ended up getting a role in benefits in the corporate uh, corporate building. And I have to say my time there, I ended up working for that company for 13 years. And my time there was really an incredible experience because this company was really at the forefront of a lot of new HR initiatives. I mean, telecommuting at the time, not to date myself, that was new. What year are we talking about when you're saying? I mean, so? we're talking 90s. We're talking uh-huh. 90s, okay. probably 95. Oh, yeah. They were. Way ahead. Right? Yep. They were. Yeah. I mean, even things like diversity and really calling that out as a business function and getting out in front of that and you know, actively recruiting uh, for diversity initiatives. I mean, it was such a great opportunity to dip my foot in the pool of HR and really try and figure out what I was good at, what I liked. 
I worked in, started in benefits, as I said, I worked in labor relations. The sales force at this organization was unionized. That was fascinating. It was really wild. Um, I worked as a technical trainer on the tax implications of the products that this company sold. I, I knew I liked training after that, but I didn't like the technicality of that and the content. So I ended up as a corporate trainer, an internal corporate trainer in the retirement division of this organization where I stayed for about six years and also took on some leadership and coaching responsibilities. I had a mix of soft skills that I trained on, also had my Series 6 license and trained on uh, retirement products. Mm. So it was really great. It was when you talk about structure, right? Training is the ultimate in HR because you get this concept or you get a request for a class, you put it together, you design it. There's a lot of creative outlet in that. And then you get to give it and be creative in the delivery of it. And then it's complete. And it's this sense of accomplishment, right? This sort of feeling like I created this, I gave it, and the feedback was good, hopefully. And <laughs> this will improve the employees who are in that class. This will improve their experience in some way. Sounds like you've had like the true generalist experience. So you said like, you know, you've got the people experience, you worked in benefits, labor relations, um, series six, for those who don't know, that's the blue sky laws, right? That's the, mm-hmm, all the yeah. Right. So, you, so you had all that experience. You did training. What am I missing anything? Uh, I think you said, yeah, benefits, labor relations, which was kind of an interesting view into unions. Yeah, that's still benefits, that right? Well, it was a separate function because we actually went and uh, we, I was at the table with collective bargaining with the union. So hmm. got to observe that. And uh, yeah, so it's a little bit of a different side of, of the benefits. Yeah. I mean, again, I would consider that outside of like uh, recruiting in some of the other areas of mm-hmm. human resources. I mean, you really had a good broad spectrum of a lot of what it takes to, I guess, eventually at one point run HR. Do you feel that that gave you a good foundation to be where you are today? 100%, but I, it wasn't intentional at that time. I really was just trying to figure out what I liked. You know, huh. I was really just trying to figure out what was I any good at. And I think that's why I stayed in training for so long because it really aligned with this sense of accomplishment. And, and honestly, when I left that role, I was pregnant, I was on maternity leave. And I came across another opportunity that was still corporate training. It was managing a training group, but also employee relations work. And I was like, well, you know, I really love training. It'd be kind of nice to take on something else though and take on another challenge. So once I did that, and once I was in employee relations and I had the encouragement of my boss at that new company to take on new things, then it became a little more intentional. And it became more like, you know, I really should for my career growth, probably start to get some real hardcore experience in these other uh, disciplines. So again, I think when you are starting out, I never said, oh, I I need to get all this experience to be the head of HR one day. I just wanted to know what these different functions were all about. Look, in technical training, not for me. It just wasn't for me and I needed to move on from that. So it, it was a really good way to not be a quote unquote job hopper, but get all this experience. And then, yeah, ultimately I think it fed into the foundation for what I do today. So do you recommend for those that are listening and that might not necessarily be as far along in their career, uh, having an opportunity to work for a larger organization that can afford you the ability to move around to different departments? Or do you kind of fall into the camp? It's better to kind of go to maybe smaller companies and move around also, but take on different roles. 
If I had to choose, I would probably say, you know, bigger company. I mean, that was my experience. That's what I know. It just gave me so much. I mean, the posting process there was so robust and you really only had to stay in a job for a year and you could move on to something else. And when you're early in your career, people expect that. And again, it was a company that is well-respected, was really exhibiting best practices in all these areas. So I knew I was learning the right way, if you will. It's not to say small companies can't afford some great experience, but if you're unsure of what aspect you like in terms of HR and how would you know if you haven't tried it, I think big companies can be really helpful for that. And I, most people that I've interviewed for roles on my teams, it's one of my favorite questions. What part of HR do you love and what part can you not stand? And they generally don't know unless they've worked in a variety of areas. So I think to gain that experience, big companies are are a good way to go for a lot of people. Yeah. So now let's fast forward. You're uh, in a position where you've built two human resource departments. Mm-hmm. Can you walk me through that process? I mean, I think there's the basic stuff. There's people, process, infrastructure. But I think before you even go there, I believe it starts with setting expectations. So if you're going to take on this kind of role or you're, you're taking it on, it starts with setting expectations for yourself, your boss, the organization, the employees of that organization, your team. Because I think if you're going to take this on, you're going to go to a company that's likely had little or no HR function, right? So they don't know what it even looks like, maybe. And so as someone who's going to be a leader of that function, I think you need to be really clear on what's reasonable. Um, You need to understand what their expectations are up front. What's the timeline of, if it's a cultural initiative, is it uh, building their infrastructure? What do they have in place already? You really have to do your homework when you're interviewing. And I think be pretty straightforward in helping to start guide what they're looking for, even during the interview and negotiation process, because they don't really know maybe even the questions to ask. And if you've built your career to the point where you're ready to take on this type of role, it's really up to you to help them understand through discussions early on what it's going to look like, what do they expect, what's realistic, and so forth. So I think setting expectations is something that maybe candidly in my first shot at doing you know, building an HR department, I probably could have done better in that area. So this is just something I learned over time and making my own mistakes. So I think that's important. I, I think it, along with that, you need to understand what you have in terms of resources, right? People. Um, it means an actual budget. Do you have any? Because again, you're talking to people who've never had an HR function, who don't know what maybe a system costs or what it costs to advertise positions on something like LinkedIn. So they may not want to spend money or think that what they're going to give you is enough. And you may have to make it work, but then again, you got to go back to setting those expectations, right? So talking about this upfront is really important. And then generally speaking, I think you need to understand going in, and this is, again, this is from my own experience, do not assume that people know what you're there to do. They have never had this function before, right? So... It's up to you as an HR leader to help educate people and provide the business case and the rationale as you move along your pathway of building the department, help people understand why these things are important. And again, 
I learned this only through <laughs> my own journey and looking back and seeing where maybe I could have done things differently. And hopefully I'm doing a better job of that now the second time around. So, so, you know, so those are just things that I think keep in mind before you even start looking at, at anything in terms of what am I going to do? The other thing, and I think this, this actually sounds really silly to me now that I'm, that I didn't know it at the time when I first did this. And it sounds so obvious, but you have to keep in mind, if you're going to go build your HR function, it is likely the company's growing, right? They say, hey, we're at a certain point, we're growing. I mean, I will bet like 100% they're bringing in other executives to build other functions. So what you have to remember is everyone is building their own function. So you're not building HR in a bubble. You're building HR while everybody else is building their own function and dealing with their own challenges. So your colleagues might not be ready for everything you want to do. The organization might not be ready. You have to really kind of check yourself in terms of where's the organization, who of my colleagues, department heads, are ready for what I want to implement. And not everyone will be, some might be, some could be your ambassadors, your champions, your pilot groups. But I thought going into it the first time, you know, how hard can this be, right? I mean, I've kind of rebuilt one department that was much, much bigger, but that was in a steady state organization. When you're talking about a company that's in high growth mode, it is a completely different story. Can I interject for one quick second? I got to tell you, that is so far, the answer is so great. And I've talked to, I've got a lot, I've come out of uh, financial services and I've got a lot of friends in the investing in the venture capital world. And one of the biggest areas or issues that they have, I'm sorry, in private equity is also in the people function. And the fact that you're looking at this from such a holistic perspective, you're getting ahead of a lot of potential issues by thinking about things this way. So it's been hard for me to sit here and bite my tongue without kind of patting you on the back and giving you some kudos. Uh-huh. So, so keep rolling. And uh, I just, I couldn't bite my tongue any longer. Oh, thank you. And, but again, you know, it really comes with the experience of having done it. And, and again, I don't say that now I'm doing it perfectly, but these are just things that you learn as you go through it, really. And then you hopefully learn from those experiences to kind of reflect back. Because when I was asked to do this a second time, something I thought long and hard about because it's not easy. But then I was reflecting on some of these lessons learned and I thought, you know, I can take everything I learned here and I can do it better. And so I'm I'm hoping I am. And I think it's important to really reflect back on what went well and, and what didn't. So for those that are listening that are maybe in a high growth function a uh, high growth company rather, because there's a lot of these going on. Uh, again, like I mm-hmm. said, the venture space, there's so much technology companies, things that are in, in the pharmacy world that are just growing exponentially and they have needs to build these departments. So obviously come with a plan. Is there any areas of spend in particular that you, you'd really suggest that they push back on in terms from a P&L, a budget standpoint, like that that are just like a must-haves that you know well, might initially get pushed that might not really get traction? Look, I think you have to have some level of automation in an HR function. If you know, you can't attack the people and the process if you've got an infrastructure that is antiquated, if you're tracking employees on Excel spreadsheets, you're only going to be able to go so far. And that's going to impact the talent that you hire for your own team because they're going to get frustrated. They're not going to be able to do the things that they want to do. So if you don't have, for instance, you hire a recruiter and you don't have any kind of applicant tracking system, you don't have any automated way to recruit people and, and you, you're a high growth company and you've got to recruit 
you know, 50, 100 people over the next year, that's going to be a problem. So I think automation is, is really, really important. It doesn't mean you have to get the Cadillac of HR management systems. You just have to have something in place that's going to allow you to do what they hired you to do and likely what their expectations are. So I would say automation is really important. There are a lot of things you can do without spending money, of course, to build a department. There's your handbook, there's processes, there's the talent that you bring in and sort of having them think innovatively around what's currently going on. There are also ways that you can probably save your company some money, which could offset some of the spend that you're wanting to do in HR. Some of the, I would say like the short-term successes are twofold. There's sort of the money saving aspect, and I'll talk about some of those, but then there's also these programs that can immediately impact employee experience. So from a money saving standpoint, you can look at things like vendor relationships around benefits, health and welfare plans, 401k record keepers. What kind of funding model do you have for your benefits programs? What kind of plan design do you have? I mean, typically what happens in these very small companies you just pay, you're paying a flat rate for your benefits. But as your population grows, that's generally not the best fit. And you ultimately will want to move to a self-funded model of benefits. But even before you do that, you can probably make some changes to your plan design. You can renegotiate with these vendors. It's oftentimes just because nobody asked, it continues as is. Mm. So you can really find some savings there. I also would say in terms of benefits, bringing in an advisor, if you don't already have one that you're working with at the company that you trust, that can give you some really straight advice and guidance on how you can cut some costs. They are well worth it. I've worked with the same company and and group of individuals that are fabulous who have guided me over the last three jobs I've had and really helped me to significantly cut costs while maintaining the quality of the benefits. I mean, I'm talking about three, $400,000 annually um, that you can save simply by asking some questions. And then you've got this other piece, which is, you know, you want to tell the employees when you come into this new HR department that you're building, that you're here, that you're here um, to advocate for a better experience. So things like work-life balance programs, telecommuting, um, tuition reimbursement, wellness programs, a lot of those things are either low cost or no cost. I mean, telecommuting is generally a no cost program. So you need to sort of think about it on different ways. And I think from there, once people start seeing some of these short term wins, it's usually a little easier to get some of those resources that you might need. Yes, you just need to be creative. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. What has been the biggest skill set that you feel that you've acquired that has led to your success building these kinds of departments? Well, I think that it's important when you come into this, these are generally smaller companies. And again, they haven't had an HR presence before. So can I interrupt for one sure. quick second? So when yeah. you're saying smaller companies, though, we're not talking 10, 20 people. We're talking a couple hundred people. That, that are yes, gonna exactly. Want, uh, yeah. Okay. Just, just want to clarify that. No, good, good point. Personally, I think when a company gets 75 to 100, they need to bring someone in who really is dedicated to HR. 
but typically they wait and you're talking about <laughs> two, 200, 250, because what happens is the office manager will do some work or somebody who likes HR will do some of the work and they kind of parse it out across the organization. And then they realize at some point that it's really important to get someone in who knows what it needs to look like. And so, and that was really where I was going. You have to have this ability to be strategic, to understand your business, the business that you're in, to understand how you can align the HR strategy with the business strategy. But at the same time, you're going to need to, and I'm saying is kind of drives me a little nuts, but you are going to need to roll your sleeves up and get your hands a little dirty if it's you and one other person trying to build this department. I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember I had a staff of 21 people where I'd been the chief human resources officer of a global company. And then I took on this first, the first job to uh, build an HR department. I remember sitting in sort of like a closet-like space on a phone, recruiting a production line worker just because someone had to do it. So it's, I think, to answer your question, one of the skills that I develop is to balance both of those personas. I have to be the person that is talking to the management team, talking to the CEO who's my boss. And I also have to be the person that can have the conversation um, with the employee about, you know, an employee relations issue with their supervisor. And it doesn't go on maybe forever, right? Like that, like you might not have to be as in the weeds for years and years, that's not the goal. But in the beginning, the first couple of years, you need to have both of those skills. Yeah. And do you have a, a network of people that you can lean on to get answers to? You're not going to know everything. And there's so many different things that you need to think about. Like you said, employee relations, whether it's a HRIS tool, when you start going into the benefits world, it gets super complicated. Is it a network of people or is it a mentor or what is it? Who is it that you're leaning on when you need answers? Right. That's a great question. I mean, I think it goes back to the benefit advisor I was telling you about really bringing them in for the last three companies that I've worked at. Also, I have an employment attorney that I work with who's great, who I trust and gives me really straight advice if I need it. And I do, I have developed relationships with vendors that our HRIS vendor is great and we've really um, developed, you know, can I just ask you a quick question kind of relationship. So I think over the years, you find those people. And I think mentors slash friends, just a kind of personal network I have of friends of mine that are in the HR space, um, especially right now during the pandemic, it's been great to be able to just call some people and say, hey, what, what are you doing? Because this is new. What are you doing in your space? You know, I have a, a friend who works in New York City for a huge company. It was great to be able to call her and say, you're at the epicenter. You tell me what you guys are doing. You've got to be, have it down already. And she had a lot of great information to share. So I think it's a combination of sort of your business contacts, your personal, you know, people I've worked with over the years as colleagues. It is a really great point that you need that network to rely on. What are you seeing as the future of HR? Well, again, to touch on the pandemic, I think that HR is going to be really in much more of a virtual space than ever before. And I think the difference will be that businesses are on board, right? Anybody who didn't like telecommuting before has got to at least admit it's probably working okay, right? <laughs> like people are doing it now and out of necessity. And I think there've been a lot of lessons learned that what can really be accomplished, how much office space do you really need? Are there people that, how often do they really need to come in? And so I think HR is going to hopefully be at the forefront of really guiding that and taking some of the lessons that we've learned from this and improving, again, going back to the employee experience, improving that experience. 
these employees are going to say, I mean, again, more than ever before, well, do you offer telecommuting? Because why wouldn't you? It's almost going to be like a given, right, for certain roles now. So I think I see us going much more into that arena. Yeah, I would agree. I know we're getting a little tight on time. I got two more questions before I let you go for the day, if that's all right. Sure, sure. <laughs> and any advice from the future? Like if you could go back in time and give yourself some professional advice or, or I guess anyone else, what would that be? What would you have done differently? <laughs> well, you just calm down. Like, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think, you know, I've always been a, a driver of results type of person and put a lot of pressure on myself, which is going back to the beginning, you know, talking about yoga and meditation, why it's been really helpful for me and in terms of uh, just opening up space to be creative and just practice some self-care. So I think enjoying the journey a little bit more rather than maybe just worrying about the next challenge, what's the next level. But the other, the other thing and more, more practical advice I would probably give is to say feedback's great. I think when you're starting out, you want, at least I did, I wanted any feedback I could get about Am I doing a good job? And what was that like? And how could I improve? But I think as you gain experience, you have to be more selective about who you who you take that feedback from. You can have, as you just said, a network of people that maybe certain people can help you with different aspects. But taking on feedback just from anyone, good or bad, I would say is not a great idea. You need to really know if the person you're asking for feedback on your career has the, the skills, the experience, the credentials to really give you what you need. My dad, for example, has never worked in corporate America. It's really hard for him sometimes to give me any advice on how to handle, I don't know, let's say office politics or something. He just That's just not his world, right? I wouldn't go to him for that. But there are friends of mine that are still in HR that work for really large companies that have dealt with this before that I, I would go to them for. So I just think it's important to sort of pick your guidance wisely, especially as you gain your own perspective and your own sort of focus on where you want your career to go. That's good advice. And now, is there any one, last question, then I'll let you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what was the best advice that someone ever gave you? I think it's my dad. I mean, he always, I don't know if this, he might've ripped this off from someone, but he, <laughs> he said, have a plan. You can always change it. Mm-hmm. And so I am a planner by nature. So it probably resonated with me. People, I think sometimes get stuck, you know, like, I don't know, I don't have the whole plan. And, it's like, well, make one and then you want to change it later, you can do that. I'm a big believer in agendas and lists and all, you know, anything that can keep me kind of focused, but it doesn't mean you can't change that plan. So I think it's important as you're building your career, as you're going through, if you're building an HR department to, you have a plan, but then something comes up, you modify, you're flexible and you move forward in a different direction. So that's probably the best advice I ever got. I love the, you ever hear the Mike Tyson quote about having a plan? No. He says, uh, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face. Similar, yeah. I mean, right. And then you've got to replan after you yeah. get hit in the face. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to get hit in the face. <laughs> you know, it's gonna... No question. And when you, I mean, you talk about building an HR department, I mean, yes, you will get hit in the face. You will, you know, get knocked down. You will think like, this is a great idea. And then the organization's like, mm, no. So you have to just be, you know, you just have to be flexible. That is great. <laughs> Shannon, really good speaking with you today. A lot of good takeaways. I mean, I, I, again, let's start from the beginning that you're, the vulnerable share that you had is fantastic. And I, I love to see what you've turned that into and uh, how you've not let it define you the insights on 
building, well, your career, just, you know, again, the generalist background and how that kind of helped to put you in a position to be where you are today, I think is really valuable. But, you know, the biggest takeaway that I had from this was getting back to like preparing before you're even building anything. Mm -hmm. I love the, there's a saying in the military, it's uh, poor preparation leads to piss poor performance. And uh, I, I'm sorry for the crudeness of it, but it's just, it's really, uh, again, getting back yeah. to quotes, it really rings home to me. And it sounds like having been there and done that, you've learned to really kind of have, you know, think things through from a holistic standpoint about all the different things that need to happen. And I really like that you talked about how other departments aren't, they're only, they're so focused on themselves. They don't even think about the interconnectivity of how HR or even just any other department might meld or work together. So I, I think that's a really, I, I don't think many people are thinking about that. So mm -hmm. I really hope those that are listening, you know, that, that's a huge takeaway for me. I've built a, a bunch of businesses and those are the things that you challenge yourself to think about, uh, even if you don't have it right, just to start thinking about what could happen. That's a great takeaway for me, other than <laughs> just really enjoying the conversation. I know. I, I appreciated the opportunity to, to chat. And uh, yeah, you know, all these sort of lessons learned are just by getting punched in the face. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you learn these things and you hope you can share them with someone else so they don't have to get punched in the face. It's been great chatting with you and um, as always. And so I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share my story. That's great. Thank you for coming on the show. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to networkwise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always network wise. <laughs>